Hello, football thinking fans. Welcome to the Total Football Analysis Champions League and Europa League podcast. The 2019-2020 season has officially come to an end with the two European finals. On Friday, Sevilla beat Inter 3-2 and on Sunday, FC Bayern went past PSG thanks to a 1-0 victory in Lisbon. We're going to take a close look at these games with our TFA team, which you already know at this point. I'm your host, Daniel Proc, and I'm joined by professional footballer for North Carolina FC and teammate of mine, Alex Comzia. Alex, how about your compatriot, Alfonso Davis, lifting the Champions League trophy, the first Canadian to do so? How does that make you feel? We're all very proud as Canadians. Like you said, he's the, the first Canadian ever to lift the Champions League trophy. And at 19 years old, he already might be the best Canadian to ever play the game. I would argue he's played at the highest level, playing for being a starter at Bayern and being Bundesliga Rookie of the Year and, and winning the Champions League. So we're all very proud of him. And they are already labeling him as the best left back in the world. But we'll have time to discuss this. Joining us is also EPL podcast host, Chris Mumford. Chris, your man or uh, your alpha man, Romano Lukaku, had quite of a bittersweet final, which was more bitter than sweet. Eventually, how sad were you to see him netting that own goal? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't, I, I, I don't feel bad that so much about the goal as that breakaway situation he had that uh, mm -hmm. that keeper really came out strong on. But... Tough day for, for Lukaku and, and Inter, but uh, hey, next year starts in just a few weeks. Always hope. True that. And uh, finally, let me welcome back on the show football analyst Scott Martin. Scott, before you help us break down the tactics of the Champions League and Europa League finals, let me hear from you. What is or uh, who was specifically uh, the one player that won the final for Bayern and the one that lost it for PSG? Just a gut feeling. I mean, Chris is going to love this response. <laughs> I really do feel like Manuel Neuer was the one who, who secured the victory for Bayern. He was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, five saves on uh, really clear-cut scoring opportunities for PSG. So Neuer's the man for me. Um, Chris argue this later on go goalie uh he was that good in this game and then for psg i don't know if i want to pin it on one player at the very least uh we'll say neymar and mbappe they didn't finish off their chances yeah that's a that's a good choice they did have uh, a couple of clear chances all right let's begin by unpacking what happened in lisbon before moving to cologne Scott, were you surprised by the approach of either Bayern or PSG, or did things go according to what was, was expected of these two sides? So it's more or less what I expected. One of the surprises was to see Neymar almost exclusively in the middle while Mbappe was on the left. But what we really talked about last week was they wanted to try and get their, their speed into the half spaces, much like Leon did in the semis. Uh, so we did see a lot of through balls or balls played over the top to Mbappe, trying to get him into the half space where he could have a clean run on goal. So Bayern's uh, approach to the game was, was spot on, though. So even though they did concede you know, four or five really good chances, they did their best to really minimize exactly how often um, PSG was able to break through the lines. So I think Kimmich was very conservative in his starting points when Bayern had the ball. And they had the ball for about 60% of the game. So uh, he did, for the most part, start very conservatively. And he was very opportunistic with his chances to go forward. That conservative starting point allowed him to really offer cover uh, for the depth. And the combination of Boateng and Sula really did well to, to offer support and make sure that even if Mbappe got through, there wasn't a clear path to get to goal. So uh, that worked out really well for Bayern. I think they countered PSG's biggest threat, which was the speed getting in behind. We knew PSG was going to counterattack. We knew Mbappe was going to be the number one target. And I think we all at least had a feeling that they were going to try and target that left half space, try and get him in there to then create for... Uh, either himself, if he could get through, or set back to Neymar and Di Maria. But um, yeah, overall, that was PSG's approach. Bayern adapted well. And then on Bayern's side of the attack, uh, they just broke PSG's 
midfield down, controlled the game, controlled the tempo. They at least made sure that when they lost the ball, they weren't conceding too many days for PSG to get in behind. So, you know, I don't think it was the, the most dynamic performance from the Germans. Uh, we didn't you know, the, the free-flowing, ultra-aggressive approach from Davies and Kimmich. But ultimately, they got the job done. Yeah, I think that PSG started off strong in the first half. And uh, let's admit it, if those two clear chances by uh, Neymar and Mbappe, if they go in, we're talking about a different game. But Neuer came up big, didn't he, Chris? Absolutely. I mean, last week we talked about how he has instilled a, a degree of confidence uh, in the entire team, I think really starts with him. And he came up with massive power saves at the right time, especially spreading um, on two just almost green light specials, you know, between the posts. But the sweeper-keeper piece, which he's really good at, there were one or two instances when he was out on that 20 or 25 before the PSG striker really knew that he was there. And you just you got to say hats off to him. He, he's, he's playing at the right time. I just want to give a shout-out to Navas. I really thought, to me, the MVPs of the game were both keepers. Navas made some clutch reaction saves, and, but Neuer took it to the next level, and, and Byron's got the championship. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I only remember one big mistake in this game, and that was towards the end of the first half when Alaba uh, had that missed pass that Mbappe picked up, had a 1-2 with Herrera. By the way, great look by Herrera to cut the ball back for him. And Mbappe missed the chance. But PSG have been missing chances heading to the final, right? I feel like they, uh, Neymar and Mbappe, they haven't been as clinical as we know them. Um, why, why do you think is that, guys? Neymar's finishing in particular has just been off. You know, he's been put through in the previous rounds, if you remember. And then he's had some really shocking finishes um i mean this this game i don't think he was as bad uh i thought mbappe's was finishing was just poor overall although i thought he was more threatening than than neymar was i was particularly impressed by like you said daniele psg's first half and the way they approached Bayern with really some guts when they play out of the back and out of the midfield However, you could argue that they were lucky not to be punished within the first 15 to 20 minutes when they you know, were stubbornly trying to play out of the back. But you saw at times when they did successfully get out of Bayern's press how much space was open for guys like Neymar and Mbappe. And let's not forget Di Maria because I thought Di Maria was probably the best out of those three in the first half and right before he got subbed. We're going to talk about substitutions later because I thought Tuchel got his substitutions completely wrong. I would have never subbed on Chubo Moting. I don't care what he did in the previous <laughs> matches. Di Maria coming off the field after he was probably arguably, arguably your best creator. He had that chance where he slipped through Marquinhos in the second half. He was causing Davies some particular problems. And I think Davies deals very well with players that want to run in behind him 1v1 because he has so much so much pace about him. But Di Maria is a whole new animal because he's left-footed and he can go inside, he can turn you inside out. He's got such quick technical ability. I thought he was handling Davies particularly well. He had that nasty Meg on him, if you saw that. Whew. Yeah, and then Tuchel subs him off and, and put, he puts Moting in. And I would say put a guy like Icardi in, even though Icardi has not been at his best. He's a goal scorer. And, and Moting, you saw the last chance there at the end. Mbappe plays an exceptional through ball to Neymar, where you think that's not even possible to break the entire defense and midfield with one single pass and a diagonal run. Neymar does good, does well to bring it back, curl it. And if you look at the replay, Moting should absolutely finish that with no problems. But yeah, again, back first half was good. PSG, if they finish their chances, we're talking about a whole new game than Bayern took over second half. Can I, can I offer a perspective uh, on the finishing? Really two components, um, and this is pure speculation. Is I, I, I think everybody knows that Neuer's got his game on, his mojo there. And I think, I think strikers that can get in, in their heads a little bit the second piece, which I think is probably a little more, is 
the amount of distance that they had to cover, I was struck, and, and Scott, correct me on this. You know, I said last week that I really felt like this was going to go to a long ball competition because of the, uh, the mid Barnes midfield. And I just wonder if Mbappe and Neymar just got the ball up at higher average positions than they normally do. And they had, they had to really work hard to kind of get in and it compromised their finishing just because they're flat out either fatigued or they're just having to move around. That to me seems like the biggest compromises when it comes to finishing along with realizing that you have a keeper that is just world-class that's on his game. Anybody have any, any. Yeah. So, um, if you take some still images of, uh, of the game, the first half, you do see sometimes Mbappe and Di Maria kind of lining up with their, with their fullbacks, almost in a line of six, because you can tell that they were instructed to do defensive work. So as a forward myself, as an attacking player myself, I can tell that that can take away sharpness uh, when it comes to finishing and being, uh, you know, thinking very clearly in front of goal. Uh, Chris, that, that save on Neymar, how did that happen? He hit uh, Neuer's calf and then back, he hit his, uh, his backhand, somehow didn't go in. But back to your point of Neuer being in the, in the opponent's mind, that reminds me you know, of the save in the second half that happened during an offside situation, but he basically spread his arms in sign of, hey, I'm the man here. I'm so strong that even if it's offside, I'm saving all your shots. So I agree that Anoya can get uh, um, into players' minds for sure. I think with Neuer, he calls it his, uh, his Nervenstark. So it's his uh, strong nerves that gives the team confidence. You definitely see that with the side today. But back to Chris's point about the lower uh, starting points for Neymar and Mbappe, one thing we saw in particular was that those PSG fullbacks, those outside backs, they were pinned deep. And typically, those are the two guys that are offering width higher up the pitch. And as they move up the pitch, that allows Neymar, Mbappe, and Di Maria to stay a little more central and higher up the pitch. But they didn't have that in this game. In fact, you often saw Neymar and, or Mbappe, typically Mbappe, far off on the, the left-hand side of the pitch, almost hugging the touchline, receiving there in a very isolated position against Kimmich, with the center back in support. So, I mean, right there from the start, everything about Mbappe's starting position was significantly worse than what he's had in the build-up to this match. And I think that trap that Byron set, uh, you know, trying to force, especially Mbappe, to receive in a wider area uh, and then get numbers in support of Kimmich, that was incredibly effective. It seemed like every time either Neymar or Mbappe got the ball, they were isolated with nowhere to go. And that, to me, that was the breakdown in the match. That's when I knew they weren't going to score against Bayern. So especially with uh, Neuer playing out of his mind like he was. But, yeah, just far too much isolation. I didn't see a lot of connectivity. But, you know, at the same time, like, who's going to be sitting so far deep to offer support against Gnabry and, and then Koeman on the other side? There was just no support. Alex, can you please give a shout out to Sule? When he came in, we all were thinking about, oh, he's slow, he's gonna uh, get dribbled yeah. a lot, but an impeccable performance. Yeah, I texted Daniele when Sule came in. Um, and you know, obviously, he's a world class center back. You don't play for Bayern if you're not. But um, I really thought that when Sule came in, that was gonna be a big advantage for, for guys like Neymar and Mbappe running through. But he, he played very well. I thought he did his job. There was there was one where I think he got lucky. I forgot who was with him 1v1, and it kind of hits his back foot. He was 1v1 in the second half. I think it was either Neymar or Mbappe. Yeah. They tried to cut across him. Sorry, who? Kimmich was there too. Wasn't it 2v1 in that situation? Might have been 2v1 with Kimmich coming back. But, uh, but overall, regardless, I thought his performance was solid. In general, I thought the center back's performance all over the park was pretty solid. I really enjoyed watching the battle between Thiago Silva and Lewandowski. I thought Thiago Silva was a warrior dealing with this guy. Like he is not easy. The foul at the end, of course, like he just had to commit. Lewandowski, if you remember the first half, he has a couple half chances where the ball gets curled in by Davies 
and he turns with his, the ball's bouncing. It's not easy to control. He's able to control it with his left and spin and hits it off the post. I thought that was a goal. That's a half chance, and that's a Ballon d'Or potential. If it's this year, I would say Ballon d'Or for sure um, type of player making those plays. There's another one where the cross comes in from the right. It deflects, and he somehow gets in between Kimbempe and Thiago Silva and gets the head on it. Navas, like Chris was saying, makes the play. I did also think, though, that there was a potential PK at the end there. What did you guys think on Kara versus Coman, who, by the way, Coman was giving this guy nightmares all night? Yeah, I think that when you are running at that speed, you know, even the minimal touch can get you off balance. So um, I think that he was put off balance by, uh, was it Kemper with his, with his hand? Kara, Kara, yeah. Um, yeah, and Kara, uh, sorry. And uh, I think there was a potential for a PK. The VAR did not label that as a, a clear and obvious mistake. So it's fair that um, we moved on. But guys, you know what I want to talk about? What I want to talk about Kingsley Coman's goal in the 50th, 59th minute. You know, he was, uh, he's the only player to have scored against a former club in a Champions League final. And uh, I want to talk about it because there's a little bit of everything. There's some magic. There's some uh, uh, real connection between uh, the Bayern players and some defensive mistakes that Alex will help us unpack. So the ball, uh, that's how the, the, the play begins. The ball comes to Thiago. And he finds Kimmich with a, a, a through ball. But Kimmich, who's a, who played as a right back, he was inside. He wasn't, you know, usually center backs, uh, sorry, full backs, they spread out wide when they're um, holding midfielders has the ball. Instead, he drifts inside and receives a great ball from Thiago. Now he's facing forward. Uh, he passes it wide to, to Gnabry. The ball gets bounced back to him after uh, a touch, I think, from Muller and then delivers a ball on the far post um, to which Coman puts his head to give uh, Bayern the lead. But Alex, what happened there? Because um, Ketter, he had two men to mark. He had Lewandowski and Coman to worry about because we know that Thiago Silva stepped on, uh, on Muller previously. How that happened? Right, and if you, if you go back, the, the ball's exceptional from Thiago. He breaks, I think, two lines with it. Kimmich, who is very familiar with playing inside at midfield, makes a exceptional, pretty easy move, but it's at the right time. And he breaks the line, he's going forward, and like you said, you described the play. Now when Kimmich gets the ball, I think it's Muller, like you said, who lays it off before Kimmich gets the ball for the cross. Muller attracts guys, and Thiago Silva and Kimbempe, in my opinion, are, are too focused on the service, and they're not focused on the numbers in the box, which leaves Lewandowski and Coman at the back post with Kerr. However, you know, I don't put the blame all on Kerr here. I do think personally he can do better in this situation. And here's why. The play is already broken down. All right, so now you're facing a cross. The only job when you're dealing with a cross is to get there first and clear it out. Again, that's easier said than done. Now, when he sees the ball being served by Kimmich, there has to be a judgment there of where the ball is going to end up. In my opinion, as soon as Kimmich hits this ball, it's clearly not going to go to Lewandowski, who is in front of Kerr. And in my opinion, Kerr steps too hard on Lewandowski. He should see that it's going to go over to the back post. And again, easier said than done. In my opinion, he should just take a step back and flick it on away from Coleman, who's not great in the air either. He did, doesn't even jump that much. I think he just hits it. And you can see Kara's there. It just goes over his head, but his foot movement is not good. He's too tight on Lewandowski. I do argue that he should do better there. But again, it's a difficult, difficult situation that, in my opinion, he shouldn't be put in in the first place. So yeah. who was it, Kimbempe or Thiago Silva that should have... Uh, Thiago Silva. Thiago Silva's on the right. He should slide right. over. And he's, he's watching the ball. You can see it. He, he's too focused on the ball. He's kind of stepped. Kimbempe's even kind of stepped into no man's land as well. Kimbempe is not really marking anyone either. So it, it's, it's a lack of awareness. And I know Scott's got something. Yeah. So, yeah, Alex, just to back up your point, when you look at Kerr's uh, body orientation leading up to the cross, 
you can definitely tell that he is focused entirely on Lewandowski. Right. He's got his back to back to the sideline, uh, which happens to be where Komen is. He is not ready to defend that back post. Right. So even just a slight pivot with his body orientation, that allows right. him to get that, that movement, have the footwork that he needs to, to backtrack and get the touch. But I think this is something that Flick and Bayern noticed at the end of the first half, that PSG was really overloading near the ball, uh, especially at the near post. They didn't really show much of an initiative to defend in the half spaces. Uh, really, they, they wanted to make sure that they controlled the central channel, you know, that zone 14. And well, so they wanted to make sure there were no easy opportunities from there. And then they could trust Navas to, to deal with any shots coming in, especially if they were from distance. But the thing I noticed at both at the end of the first half and then on this goal is that they left the back post um, unbalanced. Right. So Bayern, especially with uh, Leon Goretzka's runs, because he was really, I think, the, the key to, to sending that cross. When he made his runs into the box, that was all in. His runs were largely untracked, and especially at the back post, Bayern was getting a lot of 1v2s, uh, 1v2s. So, I mean, they, they had so many opportunities, and PSG did not adapt. Um, and the, the center backs were just far too aggressive the goal. And I, I really didn't like that approach, but I, I do think that's something that Bayern picked up and they started targeting going into the second half. So you can see on this goal, I mean, especially with Goretzka's run, Carrer's 1v3. What's he supposed to do? Center backs have totally overcommitted. Yeah, these are unselfish runs by uh, Goretzka, Muller has done a lot of them. Uh, they make a difference because they open up spaces, right? They, they make defenders, uh, they force defenders to make a choice because they have to follow you now and the space open up, opens up underneath or behind them. So uh, definitely a good analysis. Chris, as soon as that header, as soon as that ball hits the ground and picks up speed, there's nothing that Navas can do, huh? No shot. I mean, you could make the argument that Navas could have been out a yard further, but I don't, I don't really feel like he could have done much. It was too far out for him to really go out and get. And let's face it, at at six foot, you're you're not going to go out and be super aggressive in that. If you're six four, six five, maybe. But you know, I really think that I would probably not. I wouldn't blame the defender in that situation um, because you got a guy that scored fifty five goals in front of you, and you're thinking, oh, I should be in front of him trying to block this uh, to head this out. And uh, that, you know, he's going to suck up the oxygen. The second thing is, and this is a common goalkeeper error, is when there's a cross, there's a tendency to want to take a step or two forward before you make the judgment. And in goalkeeping, you're taught to do a one or two count, evaluate what the trajectory is before you, go, you make your move forward. And clearly, the defender didn't do that. He was reacting to where the player was. So... You know, I, I think that when the when he heads the ball down, it more or less and it bounces off the ground. It t more or less completely takes the keeper out of the equation. And I hate that strikers know that dark secret. Right? Yeah. I I want them to to hit it chest high or waist high, so I have a chance to just lift up my hand and deflect it. But um, clearly, uh, that that did someone was briefed right for that goal. I thought that the form of the header was quite funny, wasn't it, by Komando? Yeah. It was kind of like hope. <laughs> it was kind of hope he has like a lot of hair and he kind of just closed his eyes and, and did the movement, but it doesn't matter. It goes in at the end of the day. There's a couple other things I wanted to highlight. Um, I didn't think Verratti made a good impact when he came in. I thought Paredes was, was pretty good, and that's why, again, I think the substitutions weren't great. I mean, Bernat coming off, I got it. I think he was... He had to come off um, for injury purposes, I believe. But uh, we've talked about Icardi, Moting, the Di Maria situation. Um, and just in general, I thought discipline won on the day. And we know that to be to be Bayern's trait is, is ultimate discipline combined with, you know, their technical ability combined with the energy they bring. I thought PSG brought great energy to the game 
and they did well. But in the second half, when they go down, you can see them almost deflated, and especially Neymar, a player who I really love and enjoy and love to watch. But the leadership components of his second half, I think, was very poor. And this is the guy who is the difference maker. This is the guy who everyone's looking at to make a difference on his team. And it seems to be when they, when they go down, he thinks the whole world is going against him. And he starts making these, these plays that put him in very poor situations. For example, coming even deeper for the ball. And instead of dragging players that he knows pressure is coming, he just holds on to it a little too long, in my opinion. And it's a double-edged sword because in the previous games, those are the things that made him exceptional. He would mega guy and then run through. But I'm sorry, you're playing against Bayern Munich. You're not playing against the Atalantas of the world. That's not going to happen. Hey, not, show some respect you're, here. You're not gonna, I'm sorry. You're not going to dribble through Bayern just like that. But you're going to meg the defensive midfielders in the middle of the field and go through the entire system. I'm sorry, that's not going to happen. By, by dragging those players in, he started having poor touches, flicking it on. He would get fouled, and he knows. He knows better than anyone he's going to get fouled by, I think it was, who was it, Nabry on the side, getting mad at the referee, and then that causes his whole team to get very frustrated after going down a goal. The, the response to going down when the Champions League title is on the line, the reason why Neymar left Messi and Barcelona in the first place to have his own legendary status, we saw a different side of Neymar, and it was a similar side to the one we saw at the 2018 World Cup, to be a little harsh. And again, this is a player I absolutely love. I hate, you know, pushing the envelope on the negativity from Neymar, but I just think he could have done so much better. And that's what I think PSG will say. The fans will say the same thing. So on one hand, I want to blame him for dropping too deep because when you get fouled that deep in your own half, it's really not effective. As a Bayern player, I'm, I'm okay with fouling you yeah. uh, in your half because probably it's on a yellow card. There's no chance that there's going to be a dangerous set piece from there. But on the other hand, did he have, uh, could he have done something different? Because PSG was really uh, forced into their own half. So I don't know. Could he have stayed up uh, more yeah. up the pitch? Did he have that choice or, or not? No, really? Look, it, I have no problem with him dropping back and laying off and running or dropping back at it, switching it up. He was doing the same thing every time. And he was doing these, these, these flicks that were, were to no man's land, in my opinion, or letting the ball run through his legs. There was one time he let the ball run through his legs and went straight to a center back. There was nobody making that run. He, he has to take more accountability. You see him at the end in tears, and, and understandably so. He's a very emotional player. But at one point, he needs to take accountability. At the end of the game, I assume personally that a guy like him is going to blame a guy like Theo Carrer, where it's very simple to blame the young right back. No, it should be the accountability of the leaders of Mbappe and Neymar, as Scott was saying at the beginning, guys that make the real difference in the game. Neuer was exceptional, but Mbappe in the first half, the, the chance that he had, he basically passed the ball to, to Neuer's feet. That's not good enough. And Neymar, you know, he was, he was better in terms of the, tr the finishing attempts but in terms of just the energy and leadership he brings and attracting pressure and then playing out, if you attract pressure, somebody's open. So you better hope that guys like on PSG that have superior quality than many in the world can find that open player. I'm sorry. Speaking of a completely different flick, Hansi Flick, he brought another triplete or treble to Bayern Munich. Um, the first since 2013, and there's actually five players, Neuer, Boateng, Muller, Alaba, and Martinez, who won the uh, triplete in 2013 and uh, this year. But Scott, you know, we hear about um, how coaches should be given more time in football, you know, to implement their ideas and their style of football. Flick came in, in uh, took over the uh, head coach job in November, and in 10 months, he brought the triplete to Bayern Munich. Well, he, he just said, screw time. I'm just going to uh, come in and, uh, and destroy the game right away. What do you think of that? I think this really is uh, credit to Bayern Munich for their hiring process. They have a system. They have an identity. 
they know what they want. So it's really just a matter of finding the right guy to implement that approach. So I think, you know, to Flick's credit, he had an idea of what was there and what that, that Bayern Munich style play needed to look like. And he just went to work right away in implementing that philosophy. So I think there, there is that, that marriage of uh, Bayern and Flick's philosophies, that they are compatible, uh, I mean, clearly. But then there's also just, I think, a mindset shift. I mean, even in this game, like, with, with Neymar, you could tell like, he, that guy was demoralized all match. Bayern just didn't give him anything. Right. So, I mean, like, in this situation, Bayern was 5v3 against Neymar, Mbappe, and Di Maria almost all game. So they always had pressure. They always had cover. They always had the numeric superiority. Uh, they found a way to find uh, or to cancel out the qualitative advantages at PSG. And you've seen that in Flick's entire tenure at, uh, at Bayern. I think I, you know, on the broadcast, there was a stat that uh, he's won 28 of his past 29 matches. I mean, that, that's insane. But I think the other one was a draw. So, <laughs> I mean, the guy Munich is, scored a hundred goals in thirty-four Bundesliga games. Uh, yeah, insane. So, I mean, this side has just—they found a way to to really utilize their talent, and the mindset behind the team is just so strong. They just demoralize their opponent. I mean, you could see every time PSG missed a chance, the the head sunk a little bit lower. Because when you play against Bayern you know you're only going to have a few opportunities. So if you waste one, your odds of coming out with a result are severely hampered. So, but yeah, I mean, credit to Flick uh, and the Bayern Munich uh, top brass. It was a great fit. He understood the philosophy. And, you know, he, he was brilliant in his implementation. And this game in particular showed a real sense of tactical intelligence. Uh, and, so, uh, yeah, I, I was very impressed. Yeah, in his 4-2-3-1, Flick started Perisic against Barcelona. He won 8-2. He started Perisic against uh, um, uh, Leon. Sorry, uh, I was getting that messed up. He started Perisic, Perisic against Leon. He won 3-0. In the final, he started Coman over Perisic, and Coman scored the winner. And the I mean, error. Like, he didn't just score the winner. He took care out to the cleaners. I don't know if you, like, every 1v1, he knew that he had this guy on the ropes. And, and Coleman is, he's an excellent player 1v1. That, that is his game. And I think to Scott's point to my rant about the PSG side and Neymar, you need to give credit where credit's due. And Bayern deserves this championship. They have a 100% record for all the reasons you guys have stated. They are the best team in the world. And it's not even close right now. Maybe Madrid, Scott would argue. <laughs> nope. Maybe not yet. <laughs> so well, I mean, Bayern team was a machine. You know, my view on on Flick is as as follows. I mean, he was the assistant coach, right? Since 2019, he already had strong relationships with the players. But he actually, you know, he was assistant for Germany from 2006 to 2014. So he's got a lot of street cred built up. Um, and <laughs> you look at the German national team and it's pretty much Bayern. Um, now, of course, 2014, a lot of those players have turned over. So he had the street cred, the system was in place and you have great players. And if you believe the Pep Guardiola, oh, get having a great team, team is easy, just have great players, right? So, you know, they just needed some player or some man management capabilities and, and Flick really raised up to that account. And where I want to give credit, though, is Bayern Munich won, I thought, playing poorly compared to how they've been playing in the last four or five games. This is probably the worst performance they've had in all of their Champions League games. And they still won, right? And you got to give credit to, to teams and coaches that can still win when they're not necessarily crushing it. This was not the game that I signed up to watch, right? Five shots on goal. Um, Bayern dominating, 63% possession compared to 37% PSG. That to me is not, not – I, I wanted fireworks. But the fact is is that, that 
Bayern was able to adapt. They took what they, they could get out of it, and they eked a win. So hats off to him. Hats off to Bayern. The system did beat the superstars, even though the system really does have some, some superstars in there as well. I don't know, Chris. I think that Bayern looked pretty solid, especially in the second half. And there were a couple of chances, um, a couple of occasions in the first half where um, they got exposed on 1v1 situations. But even there, uh, Kimmich was able to make the blocks that he had to make. Uh, Neuer made saves. It's a final. And I don't know, saying that they didn't perform, it's tough because eventually they didn't concede any goals against um, a PSG team that... Arguably has the best Daniele. front three in the world. Like I the best love you. Trio. I love you, but three shots on goal is what PSG did for all that effort. So I get that a lot of soccer is is not about shots on goal, but you've got to create dangerous opportunities. And I just felt that if 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 we had asked anybody on the panel or anybody in the soccer world, hey, what do you think about the game being one zero on Sunday? We would have said, no way, that's, that's not going to happen, right? And I just no. – I, I didn't feel like the, the dangerous free-flowing opportunity that Bayern just – the go-get-it. I mean, they've been winning by three or four goals on average for the last four or five games. I mean, it's been crazy. And then for them to eke out a 1-0, kind of a 1980-0 score with five shots on goal – I just, I don't know. I, that, 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 that doesn't do it for me. All right, take, Chris, I'll take that as a hint to move over to uh, a different game that saw uh, five goals. And fireworks. Uh, yeah, let's talk about the fall of uh, Lukaku's Inter, Chris. Uh, Sevilla clinched their sixth Europa League titles, the most of any. And, you know, Sevilla haven't lost a single um, UEFA Cup or Europa League final. And that's the only uh, 100% record that you can find in any European competitions. That's pretty impressive. Let's, let's begin by talking about the first goal because it happened after uh, five minutes of play. Lukaku just was sent on the run by a uh, pass by Barella. And uh, I would argue that his first touch didn't look as great because Diego Carlos seemed to be in front of him. But then Lukaku has so much, I don't know, kinetic energy. And he was able to get in front of Diego Carlos, head toward the box, and then Diego Carlos just clipped his Achilles and caused a PK. Anything uh, to highlight about that play? Scott, I saw you tweet that we were profits last week. We we teed this up (laughs) pretty nicely. Nailed it. I mean, we talked about the the two undersized center backs and Lukaku being a nightmare matchup. Like, the first goal, five minutes in, you can see Diego Carlos is all like he's asking for a piggyback ride. Basically, he's doing everything he can to bring Lukaku down before he gets to the box. And then, ten yards later, he finally manages to step on his calf or his Achilles. But at that point, it's too late. He's in the box with this. And I would argue foul him before he enters the box, but I think he tried. But Lukaku <laughs> is just not easy to take down. He, def- he definitely had the position. He definitely had the position on Lukaku to start out with. Like you said, his first touch, you'd say, if you, if you just paused it where his first touch happened, you'd be like... Nice nah, done. The, the, that's. You would, yeah, you'd say the defender has the advantage here. He mm-hmm. definitely should get to the ball first. I mean, the straight line path is the quickest path, right? Nope. Lukaku like, goes around him, pushes him off, throws him on his back, says Who he is him? Yep. And then, and then brilliant. Brilliant. And then he, he to even... You know, end it off. He he finishes the PK. A brilliant play by Lukaku. And Lukaku, um, with that goal, he tied uh, Ronaldo's record. I'm talking about Ronaldo Fenomeno for uh, most number of goals in a debut season for Inter Milan with 34. Ronaldo uh, re- recorded that record in the 1997-98 season. But unlike Lukaku, Ronaldo was able to win the UEFA Cup that year versus Lukaku just just lost it so that's that would have been quite a story uh what about the following goals uh we have to uh, revise headers and uh, set piece defending here huh? yeah i was just saying before that uh, i think de jong has a 99 percent heading mm-hmm. on fifa now he, i mean he must be especially attacking headers 
I mean, this guy's impact on the Sevilla team has been has been exceptional. I'd, I'd be so wouldn't be surprised if he goes to Barcelona next year with Coleman there. <laughs> <laughs> but how about that first goal, Navas again? You cannot understate his impact on the Sevilla team. A brilliant ball again, like we saw against Manchester United. The connection happens, and De Jong has really great movement. Daniele, I think you'd really appreciate it. I'm sure you did. And the way he manipulates the space and he pushes Godin to go to De Jong's left and then gets in front of Godin for the diving header. I thought it was a really poacher type of goal. He was and uh, great ball. There was such a great pace on that ball that he really, De Jong only had to redirect the header, sorry, the cross with his header because the pace was already there. And uh, you could tell that by the fact that despite Handanovic got a hand on that, on that finishing, he couldn't keep the ball off the goal. Chris, were you, are you willing to blame Andanovic here or it was just too strong and too close of a finishing? Yeah, I mean, I just think that headers with that outside the six, at the six or seven that are coming um, down like that, I just think the keeper, in that situation, it's better to be lucky than to be right. And if he were out two or three yards, but you're basically completely giving up any reaction time, which I'm prepared to do because I'd rather be big and, and, and lucky than, than, you know, uh, have just a little incremental reaction time. I, I just, I think the keeper in, in that situation, he, he couldn't, have, he couldn't have done much in either, either one, which is really frustrating because a keeper's mindset is you're always asking, what could I have done differently? What could I have done differently? And in this one, if I was coach, I'd say, you got to move on the next page. And uh, the winning goal came off of a set piece as well. And uh, Diego Carlos was able to bicycle kick that ball. And Lukaku actually surpassed Ronaldo's in goals with that, uh, with that deflection into his, his own goal. Uh, what did you think about it? Was Lukaku thinking? That's my uh, that's what my thought process when I saw that goal. Was he thinking that he had a Sevilla player behind him and he was trying to clear the ball? In that case, should his teammates shout alone, time, let it go, leave, something like that? Or what was the mistake there? I think the accountability is on Lukaku there. He needs to if you look at his feet, he was flat footed. There's a clear camera view of the replay from right behind Lukaku. He's very flat-footed. He almost like puts his arms up as if to say like he's asking for, I don't know what he's asking for, maybe potentially a foul because of the bicycle kick attempt. I have no idea. But he's kind of putting his arms up. He's not prepared as the bottom line. He's not ready on the line for a simple shift in clearance. Simple shift in clearance. Again, easier said than done. But I think for his case here, like you said, the ball was not going into the goal. I don't know if this is a situation where your teammates can yell, just leave it. I think it's too fast. There's no one that can see the bike. Also, when a bike happens, usually everyone is in awe. Like, this guy really attempted to do that. <laughs> I don't think anyone can shout from a bicycle kick, just leave it from that angle. I think that's impossible. I think that accountability is, is on Lukaku. And... And yeah, it was it was super unfortunate, or or not good enough. Yeah, it was similar to what happened in the Champions League final with Thiago Silva clearing uh, commands volley, if you guys remember. But uh, despite what happened in terms of set piece situations, Scott, what, was there anything tactically that you would like to point out about this game? Well, you could definitely get the sense that Sevilla wanted to keep the build up away from the central channel attack and um, that they were dangerous on the counter. Um, so, yeah, you did see Sevilla try to maintain possession and, and swing it wide. For Inter, uh, very direct when they did attack and Lukaku just bullied Diego Carlos all match. And, I mean, really, Lukaku should have put this game away just, what, five, six minutes before the own goal. So, and when you look back at both tournaments, how many times did we see one failed opportunity, one clear scoring opportunity, gets flipped, the other team scores right away, and that's the winner. So that happened again in this match. 
And um, yeah, I think ultimately Lukaku will be disappointed, even though for the, the whole game, he, he actually really played well. And I think he was the, the focal point to, to Arsenal's, or sorry, to Inter's threats. Were, were you disappointed with Lautaro's performance? Because I think that he didn't move quite enough, or better yet, he wasn't as clean on, on the ball as he usually is. Yeah, so it, I don't know. It, it did seem like Inter wanted so badly to isolate Lukaku with, with Diego Carlos in particular that Lotero's role was muted. So, you know, I don't know if that was by design or if, you know, it was just one of those cases where he just couldn't make an impact in this match. But yeah, it was odd to see that you know he wasn't really uh, very effective either when dropping in or making those runs behind the line. Um, so it did seem like isolating Lukaku was the primary tactic in attack, and for the most part, I thought that was effective. But you know, if, if isolating one of your forwards is is the way you're going to go, that does have a negative implication for the other. And what what a script it was for Diego Carlos starting off the game in the worst possible way causing a PK uh, being kind of embarrassed by by Lukaku and then <laughs> uh, well, just he yeah. has the, the foul on the second goal right so on the on the second oh. inter goal I, I think he Lukaku again on that right one. so yeah I mean he was <laughs> he was really poor all match and I mean if if Sevilla had lost the game you know the bicycle kick heroics uh you know, all of that's forgiven. How good was that second goal from from De Jong, though? Like that difficulty, it's the only place he could put it, in my opinion, and score that goal, Chris, on, on the back post. From that angle, when you look at the replay, it's even more impressive to get that much lob. But you think about it, you're like, can the keeper get it? Oh, you know, it's, it's perfectly hit, perfectly hit with his head. This guy is, like, like I said, 99 heading. Yeah, no, I, I just, those are the sort of things you just, as a keeper, you just shake your head. I mean, you can't, there's just, you can't, you can't even overthink that, right? I mean, it was so beautifully done. Uh, and his, his angle of attack was really first rate uh, on that. Uh, but that's kind of how soccer is, right? I mean, you come in at that angle attack, Lukaku on that, that thing that he screwed up on, on the, um, the breakaway situation, the ball had bounced a little bit high um, and he had, he didn't have an opportunity to put it right on his foot. The other keeper had had the wherewithal to step out and cut the angle off really well. And I just think the Lukaku piece on, if someone kicks a ball towards you and you have no reaction time, particularly if you're shocked that they were idiots enough to try a bicycle kick, you're just going to stick your foot out. And um, you know, I, I still would love to see the overhead shot, which I never will. Because I think that ball is still going into the side panel. No, 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 it's not. But, uh, <laughs> I, I disagree. I, I, I saw that camera That's angle. It's not, it's not going in. Yeah. So, um, all right. Well, you're right. Lukaku is the leading uh, first-year scorer of all time. Yeah. Ronaldo. He's out Ronaldo. That's right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I will tell you, this, this match I, I loved. I mean, it's funny. I, I don't even think my popcorn had stopped popping on the oven before <laughs> that first goal. I didn't have a chance to get settled. Um, and the first half was mesmerizing, in my opinion. Right. Second half, not so much, right? But, um, but still, there were 10 shots on goal, twice as many as the Sunday game, right? <laughs> and it's just I found it much more – easier on the eye um so i just soccer is a cruel game you know what if you're sevilla it's a great game i mean sevilla did exactly as advertised right that first goal with the header coming in from the right side that is vintage sevilla right scott i mean you can't get any more sevilla than that they're really good at set pieces you know i don't buy into this well you know They've they've won it all these other times before. That's going to help them this time because it's completely different rosters, completely different coaches. I think that's handy for pundits to say it. You, you got to show up and you got to you got to put the ball in the back of the net. That being said, Sevilla did that and they seem to just scratch it out, just like we talked last week. Comes down to that four letter word, grit. But Chris, there is 
something to be said about being part of a culture of a winning culture. So if you're a Sevilla player and you walk into the, the trophy room and you see five Europa League trophies, you kind of think, okay, it's our responsibility to keep the legacy going. So that's what I think when I hear saying, oh, that's a team that knows how to win. Historically, they, they know how to do it. The club knows how to put the players in situations to win. But uh, going back to the, to the second half, Inter had some chances to score. And uh, I want to uh, bring up again the point from last week when we said that Sevilla was very good at blocking shots against Menu. Uh, we had a specific chance by Gagliardini where two Sevilla players slide tackled and yeah. were able to just block the shot. And yeah. that's when I see that, I think of one of the most basic principles of football, which is position yourself between the guy that has the ball, the opponent has the ball, and your goal. And you're never wrong because you're just in the line uh, of shooting or passing. And uh, another great save was the, the goal line save by, I don't remember who, but... It was Kunde. Kunde. There was a kind of scramble situation when Sanchez was able to get, I don't know if I would call it a shot, but a shot off. And, uh, and, this, and uh, Kunde saved uh, the goal on the goal line. So Sevilla... Having, right. And yeah. having, watched, having watched Sevilla um, for these last few months, months, even in La Liga, I'm sure Scott would agree. This is a habit. This is not the first time that this happens. That is absolutely instinct for guys like Kunde or whoever was sliding in on that, on that one play. The, I remember distinctly Kunde being the one to block a messy free kick on the line against Sevilla versus Barcelona. I'm telling you, this Sevilla team, if they can keep this same roster, maybe add a couple of additions, they could be, in my opinion, a force to be reckoned with in Champions League and maybe even compete for, for, for a second place because I think Barcelona is not going to be in the top two anymore next year in La Liga, I'm telling right. you. What's the rumor that you heard about Barcelona? No, I don't want to spread rumors live on air, but <laughs> rumor is Messi might go to Inter Milan. Who knows? He might have bought a house in Milan. My friend, little bird, told me. With Max Allegri as a coach, you guys know how much I appreciate Allegri. So if that happens... I mean, there's no chance for Pirlo's Juventus. I'm sorry. But yeah. that's a talk for another season. If that happens, guys, anything else you want to add? Or um, I'm kind of sad that we're going to wrap up this, this year, this 2019-2020 oh, season. It's been but, a pleasure, uh, guys. It's been a real pleasure. Thank yeah. you, guys. Yeah, we've got a long wait, all of three weeks or four, <laughs> four <laughs> weeks. So, uh, <laughs> Well, I'm going to miss you all in, in these three weeks. They're going to look like uh, three years. So thank you, Chris, Scott, and Alex for your perspectives. Guys, as you just heard, we'll be back in, uh, in three weeks with uh, La Liga, with Serie A, with Champions League and all the good stuff. For now, thank you so much. Arrivederci.